let's jump in, though. Do we have any note takers? Okay, we got four of them here on Long Island. Note takers, stay faithful to God's ways because the miracle is on the way. I said stay faithful to God's ways because the miracle is on the way. This isn't hype. All right, let me say it another way. Document your present pain because the promise is still on the way. I said document it. Take pictures, take videos, because your present pain is going to make the promise even sweeter when it arrives. Oh, I know you're hurting right now, but the secret ingredients to the incense that arises before the Lord is pain. He smells the sweetness of that pain in your sacrifice, and he says, oh, that smells good when they worship now because they're, they're tired. They're, they're going through it. They're abandoned. They're rejected, but they're worshiping anyway, and I'm receiving the aroma of their worship through their pain. Let the incense arise. I'm trying to provoke you. Stay faithful to God's ways. God's ways work. I don't know who this is for, but the Bible says that the wicked, they'll prosper, but it's only for a season. They're like grass that grows on a roof. It has its time, but then it withers. Some of you are jealous and envious of people who are prospering in this season because you don't have the wisdom to know when it's grass growing on a rooftop. Come on, some of you are jealous of a marriage that the only thing good about it is the perfectly crafted pictures on Instagram, but behind the scenes are fighting more than you and your spouse, so stop being jealous of grass on a rooftop. Come on, somebody. Some of you are jealous that somebody's driving a car that you can't afford, but what you don't know is they can't afford it either. Come on, some of you are jealous of somebody's house they own that's about to be foreclosed. You might end up living in their house and you're visiting them right now. Get yourself together. Stay with God's ways. God says, I will add to you. I will add riches, but not increase your sorrow. You'd, be you'd better get it God's way because you'll keep it. And generosity is just letting go of what's in your hand to make some room for what is in God's hands. I don't know about you, but I want what God has for me. God's house for me is blessed. The other one's about to break down. Come on, God's spouse for me is blessed. Come on. <laughs> I'm getting there. But there is undeniable evidence that God has woven himself into the tapestry of your family and through your legacy. He has shown up. I guarantee you, God has shown up to your generations. You know, I've preached this story many, many times, but my daughter's great-grandmother, who is my grandmother, was a little girl living between two mountains in West Virginia. If you're a mountaineer, they call that a holler. See, everybody here, city folk. We have no mountaineers here. But when she... uh she basically awoke from sleep one night after having a dream that a man in a white robe told her, told her to come outside. She looked out the window after she awoke and thought that she actually saw him again with her waking eyes motioning, you must come outside. So sheepishly, she walks outside of the house and in that very instant that she steps outside, the roof completely collapses and her life is, is spared. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? That man in the white robe, Jesus, weaving himself into our story. That little girl named, was named Dorma. Dorma had a daughter named Sandra who's sitting right over here off screen. 
Sandra had a son named Michael. Michael had a daughter named Bella. God had woven himself intimately into the story. If he never saved, saved Dorma, you don't get a Sandra. If he never saved Sandra, you don't get a Michael. If he doesn't save Michael, you don't get a Bella. How many of you know that even when you don't know that God is good in your lifetime, it took his goodness in the previous lifetimes to get you here? Even when you can't find a reason to praise him, praise him for what he did in your great-great-grandfather you never met because his goodness is how you got here. He saved people in your genetic bloodline you'll never meet, so he's good even if your situation isn't good. He was good before you got here, homie. He was good before you became emo. The enemy weaves his way through our family lines as well. Am I right? He weaves himself in. Santeria. Voodoo. I'm Jamaican, so it's Obia. I got so much credibility right now. You have no idea. <laughs> My mom just said, I just found out about that. But here's the thing. The enemy works his way in through our bloodline as well. I want to just, these were alarming statistics. According to the National Council of Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, this is the NCADD. The single most reliable indicator of drug and alcohol dependence is family history. Isn't that crazy? Okay, here's another one. Children of addicts are eight times more likely to develop an addiction. So children of addicts are eight times more likely to develop, eight times. Sons of alcoholic fathers are four times more likely to become alcoholics. Isn't that crazy to think about how exponentially your possibility of addiction increases because it runs in the family? So here's the thing. Wherever you see blessings, you see generations. And wherever you see curses, you see generations. And I am on a mission to get all of our church the revelation that it's not about you. It's about who came before you and who's getting ready to come through you. The generations, are there's a bigger plan that God's been working out. And what he wants to do is redeem the pain from the previous generations and turn it into purpose. He wants to take their mess and make it your message. And you're about to take the weapons, come on somebody, that Goliath used to try to kill you and kill those giants and chop their head off with the very thing that tried to kill you. Wherever there's pain, there's purpose. Wherever there's a mess, God's trying to give you, he's trying to empower you with a message for the world. Why? Because the devil always attacks valuable targets. And so it's like, oh, I've struggled in my sexuality. Well, then you will become a champion of purity and you will teach people covenant and relationship through covenant. That's the revelation of it. Why is he attacking you in that area? Because there's power there. He's not going to waste his arsenal attacking a low value target. The enemy's always trying to get the most function out of his dysfunction. <laughs> How, and so you got to understand this. If you struggle with addiction, what is the Lord trying to do with you in a sober mind? What is it about your intellect that if it's unleashed in this earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, what are you going to build if you're sober? If you, can, if you know what you can destroy while you're drunk, what could you build while you're sober? 
I'm just trying to help you. Children of divorced parents are more likely to get divorced when compared to those who grew up in two-parent families. But according to a 2017 study by Virginia Commonwealth University, this blew my mind. Genetic factors are the primary explanation for divorce. That's crazy. It's in your DNA. There's something in you that wants to run and break covenant. There's something in you that wants to cheat and break covenant. It's in your genes. It's in your body. Now do you see why the, why the scriptures call us to be a living sacrifice? You got to set this whole thing on fire and let that thing burn before the Lord and say, everything in me wants to rebel against your ways, but I've committed to be a living sacrifice. Disease and disorders They have complex inheritance patterns like Alzheimer's disease, arthritis, cancer, dementia, diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, and even MS. As a matter of fact, when you go to the doctor, they ask you to fill out paperwork that says, do you have any family history of these things? Isn't it amazing that the doctors have the wisdom to deal with the generations, but most pastors will not deal with generational curses? And I'm the crazy one. I'm the crazy, charismatic, Pentecostal guy. No, I just have a revelation that he says, choose you this day who you will serve. Either blessings or curses, and it'll travel through the generations. How many of you want to be the first one in your family that says, I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to take the inheritance, and I'm going to demand that the devil gives it back to me fourfold, everything that he stole from my family. I'm going to be the first one that resists. Come on, doesn't it say resist the devil, and he will flee? You're going to want to feel like doing it. You're going to feel the same desire that your grandpa felt, but you're going to say he gave in, but I'm going to resist. You're going to feel the same desire your mother felt, but you're going to say they gave in, but I'm going to resist. Come on, somebody. You got to get a righteous resistance on the inside of you. Come on. I'll tell you what, we're not saved by our good works, but you are set free through some resistance. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? We got to teach Christians how to fight sin. We got to teach Christians how to resist the urge. I told my mom the other day, I'm on a fast right now. She said, you're always fasting. And she said, for years and years, every time I talk to you, you're fasting. And I was like, well, why was I so fat for all those years? (laughs) I was making up for lost time or something. But it's funny because I do fast a lot. And the more you fast, the easier it is to fast because your body adapts. The urge that you feel to sin decreases the less you give into it because your spirit adapts. Your flesh adapts. Your flesh says, oh, I guess they're not going to give it to me. And then all of a sudden it decreases and dials down. This is the way of the Lord. And so I am on a mission through this awkward family Christmas to bring all of our dirty laundry out for everybody to see. And we're going to start by looking at Jesus' dirty laundry in his family. Jesus was sinless, but his family was sinful. Matthew chapter one, we looked at last week. And wasn't it comforting to know how much dysfunction Jesus had up in his family? Do you guys remember that, Matthew? Were you here last week? Are you all here? Are you all first timers? We're going to look at Luke chapter one right now, though. And I want to read you a large chunk of scripture, but I want to ask that you guys would be willing across all campuses to go there with me, because this might be more scripture than many of you have read all week, and for some of you, all year. So can you lock in while I read this? Okay, 
So try to get a revelation. Now, as I'm discipling you, there's two voices that you should hear when scripture is being read. One is your own, that's okay. And the other one is the voice of the Holy Spirit that gives you a revelation of what you're hearing. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And so don't ever say, well, I can't understand the Bible because you never read the Bible alone. You always read the Bible with the Bible. In the beginning was the word. So the Holy Spirit will give you revelation. The Bible says he'll take the simple and he'll make them wise. And so when you read the Bible, don't ever be discouraged and say, I don't understand it. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me understand it. This is, this is gonna be profound for some of you. Let's look at this together. Luke chapter one, verse one. In so much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. All right, let's stop there. This Luke chapter one gives us a picture that this had to be written partly because a man named Theophilus, who was probably leading the early church, had uncertainty concerning the story of Jesus. So if you've ever thought to yourself, you know what, Pastor Mike, you're a super Christian. You fast and read the Bible all day. You get paid to do it. No, I don't. Um, but you know, you're, I'm not like you. I don't understand the Bible. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Christian. Understand that when you read the scriptures, it gives you certainty. As a matter of fact, if there's been ever a book that you've, uh, you've read to understand with certainty, please let it be the Bible. It's the most important thing that you can ever do with your life. And so I'm also comforted by the fact that this letter was being written and it's even being addressed to Theophilus because what it's saying is, it's okay to be uncertain. Just do something about it. Let me say this another way for the hood rats. It's okay to be dumb. Just get an education. So if you're like, I don't understand the Bible, that's okay. But learn to understand the Bible. You get what I'm trying to say? I don't witness to my friends because I'm not certain about the gospel. Hey, that's okay. But don't stay that way. Okay, one of my mentors used to say, don't be stuck on stupid. That's a choice. Just, all right, I'm gonna move on. But that first paragraph is just so comforting to me because it's just another way of saying, I've given you the scripture so that you can be certain. Don't stay confused. It's simple. It's simple. Can I just say on a side note, because I'm feeling so sassy, a lot of preachers have so much pride and ego that they take something simple and they make it complicated. Can I tell you, that John Maxwell says a true communicator can take something incredibly complicated and make it simple. And so the apex of your preaching is not how many people you can make think you are smart. It's how many people you can make the things of the Spirit simple to. Jesus didn't go around confusing people. Matter of fact, the only people who didn't understand Jesus was the people who didn't want to understand because they were prideful. And they were the ones making everything complicated. The gospel's simple. We could have a whole church that evangelizes now. And so let's keep going. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child 
I just love this. You got to slow down a little bit. So you're righteous. You're blameless. You're serving the Lord. You're of the Levitical order. You're working in the temple. And then verse seven says, but everybody say, but okay. That coordinating conjunction, but is when you are connecting two opposite ideas. And this is the reality that we all face in our lives. Hey, I go to church, but my husband never comes with me. Hey, I tithe and I give my offering, but I still barely can handle my bills. See how quiet it got? I I worship the loudest, but sometimes I don't know if I believe God's even there. Can we just, come on, this is our awkward family Christmas. Can we be real? there's There's this seemingly contradictory nature of verses six and seven. Seven says, but they had no child. Wait a second. This guy devoted his life to serving the God who split the Red Sea. The God that commanded them to blow the trumpets and Jericho came down. The God that used the sling and the stone of this small shepherd boy to kill Goliath. And by the time it shows up to him, he's just working in the temple, but he's never seen a miracle. It's like being a Christian today when it's easier to make these stories a coloring book than to make them a personal prophecy. I know that right now it's real quiet, but I'm on a mission. I think one of the worst things that could happen to a Christian is you read a Bible full of the supernatural, but you go to a church without the supernatural. I think the worst thing that could ever happen to Christian is you get a Bible study, but you're never given an outlet to practice the things the Bible tell you to do. I think the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity is that we gave you the power of positive thinking masquerading around with a couple of scriptures, but we didn't give you true power. It's a form of godliness denying the power thereof. The worst thing you can do is get familiar with the sacred things of God. He's not a piece of furniture that you walk by and forget that it's in your living room. He is God. He's not somewhere you go to fix your problems when you didn't do it his way in the first time. He's God. You've got to have a reverence and a holiness and an awe and a fear. And people are like, well, it's not real fear. Yes, it is. And what I see in this story between verses six and seven, it says, Elizabeth and Zechariah are righteous. They're walking blamelessly in all of God's commands, but they've never seen a miracle in their personal life. Oh, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, I love that, on duty. Well, guess I'm going to church because I go every week. It's just, he's just going through the motions according to the custom. See that other word, duty, custom. Well, I just go to church. I signed up for automatic giving. It comes out on its own. I show up to serve. It's just a custom. He's just going through the motions. But look at this. He was chosen by lot. Now by lot, a lot of times in the first century, they understood that there is no such thing as a coincidence. So they would do this righteous form of gambling. And it was like drawing straws. But how many of you know that God never plays dice? And there are no accidents. And so it just so happens to be that he gets picked to burn the incense in the temple. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. What in the world? That's crazy. This had never happened before. Can you imagine if I was preaching right now and an angel just appeared right here on stage? 
would you be excited or would you be scared? And you wouldn't be like, oh, wow, I reverence that angel. Angel, No, you'd be scared. <laughs> You're like, what? This is the equivalency of what happens. He's just going through the motions and he's divinely disrupted by the supernatural. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Here's the key. Your prayer has been heard. I came here to tell you, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer for your husband has been heard. Your prayer for your children has been heard. Your prayer for a spouse has been heard. Your prayer over your finances has been heard. Your prayer for your destiny has been heard. Your prayer for your purpose has been heard. Your prayer for your family has been heard. I'm here to tell you your prayer has been heard. It's impossible for him to turn a deaf ear to the broken and the contrite. As a matter of fact, he says he draws near to those who are brokenhearted. And so if you've got a broken heart and you've said just a quiet prayer on your pillowcase as a silent tear hit the pillow, he heard. He even took the literal tear and saved it to say, I can't wait till I prove to you that you were not alone. Oh, he heard, he heard, he heard. Don't be afraid. And then he says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have, I love how angels talk because they understand the language of heaven is the language of certainty. If you pay attention in the Bible to the way angels talk, it gives you a window into understanding the culture of heaven. He says, <laughs> you will you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth and he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or, or strong drink or eggnog. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you brought it to church, put it in your coffee as a creamer. The Lord rebuke you. Somebody said, come on, <laughs> you better not. And he said, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, any of us, the angel shows up and he tells any one of you, God is about to do something that's impossible. God's about to do it through your body. You're too old. You're too, and he begins to tell you, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be a massive revival. Now, at that point, don't you think you would shift from fear to excitement? But sometimes in life, you are so beat down. Sometimes in life, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then out of a sick heart, you will say some silly words. Am I right? And sometimes, sometimes the good news is not even good to you anymore because you heard the good news, but it's never been good through you or to you. And you've been seeing everybody else get a miracle. Everybody else get married. Everybody else get a house. Everybody advancing. And you're like, God, I guess this is my lot in life. Anybody ever felt that way? Come on. Some pri- I'm all up in some private conversations right now, right? I don't know if I can see somebody else get blessed. God, I'm trying so hard to congratulate. Congratulations. <laughs> That's amazing. Am I right? Have you ever had that where you're like, you see their posts on Instagram and you're like, ah, again. I've had that happen. I'm like, Lord, what are you? Why me, Job, with these boils all over my body? 
And the Lord's like, you, I saw that meme this week. It says, I just asked you to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> and so Zechariah has been given this crazy prophecy. Gabriel, I mean, there's only a couple of angels that rank in his level. So the significance of sending Gabriel wasn't even a low rank angel. It was Gabriel got sent. And then look, I love this. So Gabriel gets done talking. And this is how Zechariah responds. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife, you know, she's advanced in years. That's how I read this as a pastor. Like literally, he's not even shocked. He's like, oh, whatever. You know, it's like he's more annoyed that an angel showed up. He's like, oh man, I was just here to burn the incense. What is this? What? You ever do that? You just, I just want to go to church and come home. And then I'm on the stage, no, come on. You know, and then you're like, really, God? I just want to go to Chick-fil-A. And they're closed on Sundays. <laughs> it was like Zachariah's response did not equal what was occurring, but it's actually revealing to me implicitly the, the, the depression and he's so beat down by life that not even an angelic visitation by Gabriel is enough to change his perspective. And then I look at Gabriel and I think this is hilarious. I can't wait to talk to Gabriel about this. I'm not saying, I mean, I literally can't wait to have these, these like Gabriel tell me about that time with Zechariah. And he's like, that guy was so stupid. I showed up. That guy wasn't even excited. He, I told him his wife's going to have John the Baptist. He didn't even care. Because look at his response. He says, for I, this, he says, for I'm old, my wife. And then this is what Gabriel says. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things takes place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You know why God had to make Zechariah silent until John? Because he understands the power of words and was saying, I'm not giving you the ability to curse that which God blessed. That's why the Bible says no weapon. See, I, let me tell you the whole scripture. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But the second part says in every tongue that rises against you, I will silence, saith the Lord. Sometimes God's got to shut some people up so they can't get in the way of cursing that which he called blessed. Come on. God's in a season of silencing some fools. And he's got a way of shutting them up. That's why I don't have to fight my battles. I like, oh, daddy, God's going to get you. And yes, I said, daddy, God. <laughs> I ain't even got to fight you. So he silenced Zechariah to say, I'm still going to do it through you, but I'm going to do it despite you. See, sometimes we get in our own way and we keep speaking over things in our lives in such a way that God says, listen, I'm going to have to do this despite you because I don't think you understand how important the thing that I'm going to bring through you really is. And you're acting like you're normal, but you ain't normal. Normal people don't get fought that way. Normal people don't go through what you went through. Normal people don't dream the way you dream. Normal people don't have visions the way you have it. You're not normal. Who am I talking to? Sometimes God's like, I got to shut you up long enough till you realize you are not normal. 
Abnormal warfare is an indicator of an abnormal calling. That's the way it works. Why do you think they hated Joseph so much? He's about to be over a big pile of grain in a famine. All, you notice all his brothers rejected him. See, if one brother rejects him, he's got a calling. If two, three, four. But when all of them reject, that is a sign to show you that abnormal level of rejection is because you have to be redirected because only God's about to do it in your life. You know rejection is redirection. Thank God you didn't get everything you prayed for when you wanted it. Thank God you didn't get married to that person. Look how busted they look on Facebook right now. <laughs> Come on. Thank God you didn't marry them. You saw them on Instagram typing their name in the other night. And the Lord was like, I saved you. You owe me now. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I just look at because I'm doing this series because I, you need to see how real it is in scripture. If you've attended churches where you've been taught about the saints, but not the center of those saints, you might actually think that you'll never be a saint, but God has called us to be a nation of priests and what he will do is he will persist with us and he'll work on us and he will continue to try to get in and change things and rearrange things. And I just see the mercy of God all over this. Matter of fact, when I was doing a deeper study of the altar of incense, so Zechariah, he was a priest. It's his day to go into the temple. He walks in at the far other end would be the Holy of Holies. Then you would actually have the mercy seat and then you would have the table, the altar of incense. So his job was to burn incense on that altar. And it had to, the incense and the aroma and the fragrance and the cloud had to fill that space to cover the mercy seat, which would then give him access to go into the Holy of Holies. It was a process. So for him to walk into the temple and an angel shows up, you understand, let me, let me, let me read this to you. Leviticus chapter 16. I'm going to be the first pastor that's ever read the book of Leviticus to you, okay? And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. It says two handfuls of sweet incense. Everybody say sweet. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord. This is what Zechariah was coming in to do. He was coming in to do Leviticus 16, 12. And, and he comes in and says, and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. So he's going through the motions and an angel shows up, Gabriel. Now do you see why he's afraid? Because he's thinking, I might die. But where was Gabriel standing? He was standing in front of the mercy seat. <laughs> What a beautiful revelation and a picture. What God was trying to get through to Zechariah is yes, you're righteous. Yes, you're a good man. But what I'm about to do in your life is mercy. Mercy and grace is different. Mercy is when you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is when God says, I'm about to bless you beyond your goodness because I'm good. Mercy is you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I'm just gonna prove who I am by treating you this way. So standing in front of the mercy seat is Gabriel saying, your prayers have been heard. 
I'm here to tell somebody you're coming into a season of mercy. You're coming into a season of mercy. Come on, welfare mother. Come on, single mom. You're coming into a season of mercy. Come on, dad. Beat down by life. Come on, struggling, clawing your way, clawing your way, trying your hardest. The Lord's showing up now to say, you did everything you can do. Now watch me do what only I can do. Your prayer has been heard. It was right in front of that mercy seat. Hebrews chapter eight, verse five says, they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So that very mercy seat, the Holy of Holies, the table of incense, that was a representation of what Moses saw, the real version of it when he was out on the mountain. So Moses would have most likely saw something that looked like an incense going up. And as he was singing, he was like, Lord, what am I seeing? And the Lord was like, you're seeing the prayers of the people in intercession. You're seeing the prayers of the people go up. And Moses had to say, how do I pattern the temple after the real thing? Okay, the closest I can think that looks like incense, I'm gonna make an altar of incense. But then what happens is sometimes we go through the motion and generations later, we forgot about the mountain experience that Moses had. And now it's just our duty. Now it's just our obligation. But God is so good that he will always interrupt our religious ceremonies to show us supernatural realities. He will always interrupt our religious ceremonies to remind us of supernatural realities. Stop fooling with that. Zechariah, I heard your prayers. It's not about the incense. It's what it represents. I heard you ask for a child. I heard Elizabeth ask for a child. And though it felt like it would delay, you were not denied. Woo! The incense reached the nostrils of God. I'm telling you guys, as your pastor, I'm learning mysteries this last couple years. I saw with Cornelius, it was like Cornelius kept giving financially over and over and over again. He didn't even know what he was doing. And then he got a visitation. There was an open heaven. And, the, and the, literally the angel said, Cornelius, you built a memorial in heaven. You didn't even realize you did it. And now your whole family will be saved. There's something about consistency. It's something, it says, everybody who knocks on the door, the door will be open. But it doesn't tell you how many times you got to knock. You get what I'm trying? The persistent woman will go before the judge and beg and plead and beg and they will even get a favorable court case because of their pleading. There's something about desperation that provokes God. When you say, God, look at me. God, hear me. God, I'm praying on behalf of my family. Do you smell the sweetness of this aroma? Do you smell the sweetness of this sacrifice? Look at my awkward family photo from seasons ago. This used to be my favorite picture. And this is me with hair shoeless. And you know, there was a long season in my life where I pursued music with everything I had. And this is me playing in front of the biggest crowd I had and we're at House of Blues and I'm shredding the guitar shoeless. This is the best venue in Chicago. It's all packed out with people. What you see here is 
fans clapping, singing our lyrics. And these used to be my favorite picture because I felt like it represented success. The truth of the matter is, this picture, as I begin to mature in the things of God has been reinterpreted to me now because I actually believe it's the saddest picture that I have. It's sad because when I look at this picture now, I see Zechariah. I see somebody who is tired of waiting on God. I see somebody who is trying to push and make it happen on my own. I stepped out of God's plan and this was Mike Signorelli's plan. One of the reasons why I think this picture is so sad is because I'm the only person in this picture. What you don't see is that Julie's living with her parents, she's crying. You don't even see my other bandmates because in my world it was all about me. And see what happens is when you're successful by the world's standards, you could be the most selfish person and people will still smack you on the back and say, man, you're amazing because the world's definition of success is completely different than God's. So at this time, I'm gonna come off stage, we're gonna sell them merchandise, we're gonna sign stuff and I'm gonna think that I'm the man. But at this point, I'd already become a statistic, full-blown alcoholism, and I'm on my way to becoming the statistic of divorce. And it was in my genes. It was in my blood. And now I look at that, and this picture has become one of the saddest pictures that I have. Zechariah had a high calling on his life, but he was just going through the motions. He was just religious practices. Good news wasn't good news to him anymore going through the motions, going through the motions. Sometimes you go, you get used to everybody else's miracles and you say, I'm just gonna manufacture my own miracle. I'm just gonna do something that makes me feel good because I never feel good. I'm gonna do something that makes me feel like I'm accomplished. But I was looking at this deeper to this, this week and Romans chapter 12 verse 12 shows us a picture of incense again. This is new covenant incense. It says rejoice in hope. It doesn't say rejoice in what you got. It says rejoice in what you hope. Think about how crazy that is. Rejoice in hope. You rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. But then last one says be constant in prayer. It was saying keep that incense burning, burning, burning. Keep that incense. You know, I had made a decision when I was 29 years old, turning 30. I was in a private time with God and I said, Lord, I wonder what it would look like if I gave you one decade of my life in total surrender. One de decade of my life where nothing else matters. I wonder what it would look like if I just gave one 10 years of my life as a, as a incense before you and how pure and how sweet could I make that smell? And I begin to wrestle with this and when I turned 30 years old, I just decided I don't care anymore. I'm gonna kill everything off. I completely abandoned music altogether. The one promise that I had was John chapter 13, verse seven that says this. Jesus said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand it. Somebody say afterwards. Jesus always operates in, in the afterwards. He'll always say, hey, what I'm doing now, you're not gonna get it. But if you commit, you will understand afterwards. You won't know the journey I'm taking you on. So I begin to go on this journey. The very last time I got asked to do music, it was actually for a prison. And I was in this prison system. It got me access to, to the prison system. Matter of fact, I, it was random to me. They said, we want you to come in and 
and do worship in this prison. I said, okay, I'll do it. And when I came into the prison, knowing that I was full surrender, knowing that I was gonna just say, God, can I just give you a, the next decade of my life, complete and total incense. All of a sudden I come off the stage and I looked at a, a man and immediately I got a word of knowledge. And I looked at him and I said, what happened to you at three years old? It was not your fault. It was not God's fault and God's healing it right now. As I begin to say that, this man just started blubbering. I mean, immediately crying. And he said, what? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? And he just fell into my arms. And that's the picture that you're seeing now. And as he fell into my arms, he's literally saying right here in my chest, he's saying everything I've ever done wrong, I've done it from that place when I was three years old. The, the wounds, he was telling me, I'm not a bad person, but I was so angry. I'm not a bad person, but I was so angry. Why did it happen to me? And I was holding him saying, the Lord is healing it right now. The Lord's healing it right now. And this picture has become my favorite picture now. Because in the first picture, all you saw was me. But in this picture, you can barely even see me because I started to learn that the sacred ways of God are it's not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. It's about his people. This became family now. This man who is in a prison, Jesus said, my family are those who do the will of my father. And as we begin to pray together and he accepted Jesus, I started to learn this is what it feels like to let the incense burn. This is what it feels like to have a pure and a sweet incense before the Lord. Nobody will know. Nobody will know what I'm doing, but the Lord will know. Heaven will know, and he will smell the fragrance of my life, and he will be pleased with what I offer him. And this picture to me became a memorial that represents when you lose your life, that's when you find your life. I said when you lose your life, when you stop caring so much about what you can get and you say, God, use me to be a light in the darkness. Use me to bless people. Use me, God, to give a word to a prisoner. You will find your life. You will find your life. This is my awkward family Christmas photo. There's Mike trying to be a rock star and I had to learn I'm not here to make fans. I'm here to make followers of Jesus Christ. Because if Christ be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. I learned that when you decrease and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then in due season, he will lift you up. And it doesn't matter what they say about you, they won't be able to stop you because a season of humility always precedes a season of being elevated up. And I started saying, God, just like Zechariah, I think I need to be silent because I keep cursing what you blessed. I need to learn how to be an echo instead of being a voice. I'm not here to teach, I'm here to learn. God, I don't know anything, but is my life pleasing before you? God, are you pleased with me? God, when you see the way I live my life, are you pleased? God, when you smell the aroma of my sacrifice, are you pleased? Is it a puny sacrifice? Did I give you the leftovers, God, or did I give it all? 30 years old, 31, 
32, God, I'm coming back to this place, God. What else do you want me to give? 33, 34, God, I know that there's more I can give right now. 36, God, we're coming across country now. We're gonna begin. 37, God, I'm showing up early and leaving late. Oh, 38, God, see, it was a journey, a journey of more, a journey of more. God, I thought I was empty, but I wanna empty myself more. God, I thought I gave, but there's more. In all these years, and I still have not arrived, I just have made up my mind that I wanna burn in such a way that it provokes you to light yourself on fire. I wanna be the kind of person that when you're around me, I don't have to say anything, but you smell the aroma of sacrifice and you feel the presence of God. I want that kind of life so badly. I want a life where I look forward to dying, knowing that I've discipled so well that everything's gonna increase when I'm gone. I wanna live a life where I didn't store up treasures on earth, but I stored up treasures in heaven. And I'm here to tell some of the dads who are listening to me right now, if you are contributing to retirement, but you are not contributing to heaven, if you are not building the storehouses of heaven and putting reserves in heaven eternally, you are building in vain. I'm here to tell you, if you think loving your kids is feeding them bread, but not giving them the bread of life, you are a bad father. You are a bad father. You've got to get to the point where you tell your kids, get down on your knees. We're going to learn how to pray in this family. I'm here to tell somebody, that's what it's all about. Come on, Biden can't save your home. Trump can't save your home. Jesus is one to save your home. Stop putting it on a politician. Stop putting it on the person next to you. It's Jesus. Jesus. Mothers, I'm telling you, you don't have to be heavily medicated, full of anxiety, making excuses. But if you will tell your kids, turn that worship song on. We're about to worship Jesus. Let the incense arise. I may not know how to get out of this situation, but I know how to worship my way through anything. Let the incense arise. When I was going through all these pictures, and listen, I'm just telling you my story because I'm the only person I can tell on without getting in trouble. I was really taken back because I had this crazy revelation. It's been hard for me to share these pictures with you guys because I'm, I have been very ashamed of the person that I was in these pictures I've shown you the last two weeks. But I had made a commitment that I was gonna get up ahead of you and I was gonna go first with this healing journey. And I was gonna show you a lot of stuff I'm embarrassed of in hopes that you would come clean too. And when I was going through all these pictures, I, uh, I, I never saw this, but it's like, I never realized this. It's like, you know, when you get a little bit of distance from something, you can see it different. And I was going, I was going through my hard drive, just trying to find the pictures, trying to communicate this the best I could. And I realized something. I was like, wait a second. In my 20s, throughout my marriage, every picture that has Julie in it is a fake smile. And I, I, guess, I guess I've gotten so used to your real smile because I figured some stuff out that I started looking back saying, wow, she was not happy at all. She was not happy at all because of me. And then all of a sudden I got to this picture and I wanna show you this picture. And I just started crying because when I got to this picture, I said, there it is. That's Julie's real smile. 
But you know, when I look at this picture and you don't know anything about what this is in my life, but this is the poorest that Julie and I ever were. I'm making $300 a week to work for a church. Julie got a job at DKNY, you know, a, a retailer. And she, my wife literally got a job in this season working part-time just so I could stay full-time for the church because we were that committed. And Julie's got this smile on her face and I'm realizing this is the poorest that we ever were. This is the least amount of secular success that we ever had, but it's the realest smile that I saw at that point because I think everything up until that moment was her trying to live with somebody with all the brokenness that I had selfishly trying to fulfill a desire and a dream that wasn't for God. But this smile that you're seeing on her face is when her husband decided, now it's all about Jesus. Now it's all about what he wants. Now it's all about where he wants to go. Now it's all about what he wants to do. And I will tell you this, the hap that, that was the, the beginning of the next season for me. And it's the biggest revelation that I have to give you because you're looking at a Zachariah and an Elizabeth, two people who just went through the motions, but our prayers were heard by God. Even when I was too depressed, even when I was too lonely, even when I was, had every excuse about where I come from and what kind of family I had, and, but God said, right there in front of the mercy seat. Mike, what I do in your life is not gonna be because you're good now. It's because I was always good. I was good to Dorma. I was good to Sandra. I'm good to you and I'll be good to Bella. What I'm doing right now in your life, it's not because you got your act together. It's because I always destined for you to be a burning one for me. For many are called, but few are chosen. V1 Church, y'all are the chosen ones. Messed up, jacked up, come from all kinds of places, but you're chosen. Drunk, high, divorced, dysfunctional, but chosen. Come on, somebody. Ignorant, poor, but chosen. I don't know why, but I know that if I stay committed in the end, Jesus will say, I told you, I told you it was gonna work out. I told you I had a plan. I told you, I told you. If you're ready to commit across every campus, just jump to your feet right now. If you're ready to commit, this is my awkward family Christmas story. Mike the fake rock star. <laughs> Mike the hood rat with a fro. My big curly mop of hair. Mike, whatever season I've been in, now I just want to be a servant. Now I just want to be a, a servant before the Lord. My question to you, in school they ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? Jesus said, I'll make you what you're destined to be when you become like a child. And so God's not asking you to figure it all out. He's asking you to surrender it all in this season. So right now, this is my awkward family Christmas story. This is your awkward family Christmas story. Take my picture when I'm faithless because God is faithful. Take my picture right now because I'm finally learning patience. 
Take my picture alone because I know the promise is on the way. Take my picture because God has shown up in my lineage and now he's showing up for me. Take my picture in the mundane because a miracle's on the way, Zachariah, Elizabeth. Take our picture because John the Baptist is on the way. God has heard our prayer. Come on, across every campus, let's, let's welcome our prayer team as they come. Indiana, Long Island, New York City, we're gonna welcome them. And here's what we're gonna do. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins. This is the family of God. You have Mary, the teenager who's about to be pregnant with baby Jesus. And then you have aunt and uncle, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Aunt and uncle who haven't even been able to have a baby. And God's about to do the miraculous. Jesus' family was broken. Jesus' family was working class and poor. Jesus' family was faithful to the temple. But Jesus' family had a heart before the Lord. And there was something about their heart that attracted God. There's something about the aroma off of their life that, that God said, I'm about to move. So right now, I want to pray for you. And then across every location, I want to give you an opportunity to come up if you need additional prayer by a prayer member. But many of you are about to make a decision in your life to say, God, I want to burn for you. God, I want to sacrifice for you. God, I want a, a fragrance in my life. God, I want the real thing. God, I don't want it to be a representation of the real thing. I want it to be the real thing. God, I don't want to go through the motions anymore. I want to know that this is real. I want to step in. And so if that's you, just close your eyes. Let me pray for you right now. Father, right now I pray for the Zacharias who've been struggling with depression. I pray for the Elizabeths who are tired of waiting. I pray, God, for the Elizabeth and Zacharias that have been dealing with reproach, that have been feeling like, God, when's it gonna happen? God, I pray now that you would visit them, that you would speak to them, that you would remind them that they are divinely chosen by you. And God, that you are moving in their family, that you are moving in their lives. And God, I thank you that the end of a thing is better than the beginning. I said the end of a thing is better than the beginning. Come on, that God will give you the former and the latter rain in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody shout amen. Come on up front if you need prayer. Every location, everybody else, let's just worship. 20 seconds, come on.